how can a 20-minute tutorial turn into a three-hour debacle? <laughs> well, I guess that's what happens when you are learning how to use a project and if you're following along with someone else. Friday, March 18th, 2022. Already it's the end of the week. I'm Stephen Sersky. Thanks for joining me. This here is my daily audio digest. Published Monday to Friday, and I post these... Uh, uh, audio files and the uh, show notes on my website, stephensersky.com. It's sort of uh, where I keep a lot of my stuff these days. It's a portfolio, it's a, an adventure, an experience, it's a repository. It's something to do if uh, you want to know what it's like to be a working traveler. Uh, and, and I don't mean like, not like one of those working travelers who, you know, they have an actual job, like they're a manager or they. Uh, some company that sent them overseas. I'm talking like the working traveler that is like, hmm, I wonder what it'd be like to live and work over there. That's what I do. That's the stuff I do. I'm currently I'm in Beijing, China. Uh, I've, I've been thinking, hmm, I wonder what it's like to work, live and work over there for the last, uh, I guess, eight years now in China because it's been comfortable. Uh, and the last couple of years also haven't really given us much uh, room to maneuver basically in terms of uh, relocating around the world. Okay, I have to clarify that because actually it did. There was a great exodus from China and I could have left. I could have taken that opportunity to leave and uh, transplant my, uh, myself somewhere else. I chose, chose to stay. Um, I have talked about the Middle East for the last little while. Uh, it's still, it still keeps on coming up in my mind. Uh, it seems like it's a, an idea that who knows when it's going to happen, but my current mission, my current goal in China right now is actually one of the things that I was doing to help myself through some of the uh, lulls in my day job is actually now what's sort of keeping me here as, as I sort of, um, as I speak, and that is I'm studying the Chinese language. And I've reached, I finally reached a point, uh, HSK5, uh, and this is going to an old scale because they've changed it recently. So the old scale was only six levels. The new scale has nine. Now, according to the old scale, I'm at HSK5. So I'm second from the top. That sounds pretty fancy and it sounds pretty advanced. But as most people will tell you, if they have ever studied the Chinese language, even if you're at HSK5, your language skills could be sorely lacking in any in any ways in any number of ways for example it's been uh it's famous actually that the people who do the HSK5 the HSK course which is the standardized government sanctioned mandarin chinese program course uh for everybody it's what's taught around the the whole country uh it's what's taught to foreigners if uh, and by foreigners it's a loose definition, it's anybody who's not growing up Chinese, basically. Uh, and they've standardized it, and with the fifth level, the there's a heavy emphasis on characters, vocab, and grammar, which sounds great, but it's mostly text-based. It's not speaking-based. And the tests, if you ever do the tests, the HSK five tests, which is what I'm currently preparing for right now i'm preparing for the hsk5 test within the next couple of months at this level 
or sorry, let me rewind. Prior to this level, you do not have to write anything. Level four, you have to write 10 sentences, simple sentences. Level three, you don't have to. Levels one, two, three, no writing at all. It's all reading and listening. That's it. Level four, you have to write a couple sentences. Level five, you have to write a paragraph. Level six, you get into a little bit more extended uh, written essay sort of thing. At no point are you ever tested on your speaking according to the standardized testing or standardized course requirements. You don't, you're not. Uh, if you go to university here in China, you have to prove some sort of proficiency, especially if you take the Chinese courses, like the ones in the ones in Chinese require HSK five or above. But it's they only test your listening. They don't test your speaking in this standardized course. So what what happens is that some people who study Chinese become very good at either reading Chinese because they're doing the HSK five course, or I call them more street level uh, uh, people. They learn it's spoken, but they can't read or write because they don't focus on the HSK five. Or moreover, when they focus on the HSK-5, they only do the bare minimum, but they focus more on speaking. I will give credence to the people who uh, are able to speak Chinese because if they're able to listen, understand, and respond, it's something that I struggle with. But with characters, reading, and then writing, like sitting down to do the monotonous work of writing out the characters, of reading the characters, that part I find... I'm a little bit stronger in, but I got to work on it. It's not 100%. As I was talking to a guy today, I'm like, you know, dedicated to this, uh, this, this language has taken over my life. Basically, I don't know what people do with their lives if they don't spend the mornings struggling to read the Chinese dictionary, because that's what vocab review is, basically. And with that, I mean, even after I do all that, I still can't read the notice posted outside uh, uh, the elevator. I mean, what is that? What does that character say? What does that say? What does that say? And why am I reading so slow? It's it's almost it's almost kind of defeating. But at the same time, if you are thinking about the uh, studying the Chinese language, if you're just embarking upon it, uh, give yourself three years. You know, there's there's a saying that, you know, if you give yourself a, a, like two weeks, I think is the initial test. Like, do you like it within the first two weeks? Uh, then the next test is like, give yourself six months. And the other one's like, give yourself a year or give yourself five years. I can't remember what the, the scaling is. But what I mean, what I'm referring to is, you know, how how long should you allow yourself, how long should you give yourself to try it out so that you can figure out how you best approach that subject. So give yourself two weeks. Okay. So for example, if you're tracking your food, that's what I'm doing as well. So tracking your food intake, you want to know what your calorie intake is and what maybe your expenditure is as well. Do it for two weeks. See if you like doing it. Just do it. Two weeks, you'll learn a lot. After that, if you don't continue, okay, but at least you learn something. Same with studying Chinese. You do that for two weeks. See if you it's something that you can fit into your daily routine and then move on three months, six months, give yourself these milestones. 
The problem with the Chinese language is that it is very difficult. And if you're picking it up as a second language, you do not have the luxury of going through the initial very difficult laying the foundations uh, process that Chinese kids are given throughout their um, their childhood education. I mean, like they're going to school, they got their parents yelling at them, they got their IEs taking care of them. So there's that sort of, and this is not just Chinese, I mean, it's Japanese, it's Russian, Ukrainians in there, these languages that are very difficult to pick up, where you have to almost be born within that culture in order to develop such proficiency in them that you're able to go between them. Right. English, I mean, I don't think it's any joke that uh, English is a lot easier. It's one of the easiest languages you could pick up because you don't even have to speak it properly. I, all, the, all, the, all the kids who take these standardized tests, uh, and I, mean, I teach them, you know, they all, they all want these high, high levels. And I go, do you need it? <laughs> do you need it? Do you want it? What are you willing to do to get it? And I'll tell you, given the choice between what's easy and what they want, they're going to pick what's easy, okay? <laughs> they might want a higher level, but if there's only so many hours of the day, and I know how what it means, I know how it is to struggle through both the motivation, the inspiration, and the dedication to sit down and actually do the, the, the time, to put in the time and the effort to, to acquire a language, to master that language. Now, don't get me wrong, I respect these kids. I call them kids. Not a lot of them are kids. I call them kids because they're often younger than I am, like substantially. <laughs> I'm getting to a point where it's like, oof, you are a kid. You don't know anything. And yet the elders will look at me and go, Ugh, you're a kid. You don't know anything. And that's very much true. But I look at them and I go, to get to their ability of being able to use English idioms correctly, or at least even chunks of word, formulaic language, I've mentioned this before, you know, having that standard sort of uh, response. How can you get to that level and then beyond it? I try to do that in Chinese. <sighs> I mean, it's proper. Now, speaking Chinese, okay, that would be easier. Now, try to recognize those characters. Sure, now you can read it. But then after that, try to write it. Someone will say it to you. Can you write it down? Can you write down those characters? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> it's, a, it's a challenge. Yeah, not the easiest thing in the world, but also not impossible. One of the things I've realized with Chinese, uh, and one thing that sort of has gotten me through quite a bit of my studies as of late, is this whole idea of, uh, although I want to take the HSK-5 test right now, right away, do this quick, 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 fast, 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 and it's true, because I have that inspiration, that push, I want to get it through while I'm still sort of interested in it. But the other thing I'm thinking, what about 10 years? Within 10 years, within 10, 15 years. It, even if I were to leave China, at this point of having studied the language for so long, putting so much time and effort into it, now I'm finally able to basically function in it, especially with reading if I left China, would I just drop it? Would I just leave it behind and be like, all right, that's it. Done. No, no, don't need this language anymore. Who knows? Uh, 
and I think it's one of the things that actually pushed me to develop my reading skills is because I can take that with me easier than I can take speaking the language to someone else. I mean, to speak the language, you need to have someone there to speak to, right? Are you going to talk to yourself again in a foreign language? Oh, the nursing home's going to love you. <laughs> the institution's going to love you. Well, he says he's speaking Chinese, but we we have a Chinese staff member who says his tones are all wrong, so he must just be crazy. <laughs> I mean, is that where it's heading? Uh, yes. So with that, uh, developing the reading skills, the writing skills, the writing skills I find, um, I mean, it's unless I'm going to go study a university course in Chinese literature or something, or even in Chinese, any anything, uh, which I can't see happening. There's no real need for me to be able to write Chinese, especially by hand. It's a challenge I gave myself, uh, but it's not. I mean, it'd be I, is it a neat party trick? Is like for me, someone who ha- is so far behind the Chinese population in their writing skills. Like basically, for me, it would be a party trick or a bar trick. That's that's where you're. How else can you call it? If if someone else, Chinese or non-English, is able to write in English, I mean, the opportunity for them is, I would say, far greater than it is for someone who learns how to write three or four characters in, in Chinese. Now, yes, of course, there's extreme circumstances and this and that. And, you know, well, what about it? What if? It's like, yeah, well, what if? What if you had a million dollars and I wouldn't have to study Chinese, would I? So would if I had a million dollars, if you had a million dollars, would you sit down and learn how to write Chinese? Is that all you would do? <laughs> Interesting uh, tweet went across the feed. If you had a two hundred fifty thousand dollars, what would you do? And I go first of all, it's an unrealistic sum, uh, at least for most people. Second of all, let's boil it down to sixty thousand because that's reasonable to save over six years uh, time, ten thousand a year, if you, especially if you're living on your own. But let's just turn it around and like if you had all the money in the world. Sorry, if you had a million dollars, if you had enough money where you didn't have to worry about money, what would you do? And this got me thinking, well, I'd be studying languages. Uh, I mean, if I didn't have to struggle to think of ideas that I could monetize, if I didn't have to show up to a job for a paycheck, and if I didn't have to worry about meeting rent and things like that, what would I do with my days? I, I actually think I would be studying languages. I, I'd be studying Chinese. I'd probably, ooh, I want to say I'd want to, I'd read more Latin just because it's just, and I'd actually read from the uh, Oxford classical texts. Those are sort of the standard, uh, standard issue books that the, the, uh, the gauge, uh, th- those are the guys who actually like read and write Latin, like from Oxford, but not just from Oxford, they're, they're scholars from around the world. They don't just publish these books. They actually do a lot of research into compiling them. So um, they're sort of seen within a historical con- uh, context going through like next thousand years sort of thing. Whereas like, you know, Penguin Paperbacks is not meant to stand the test of time. But the OCT, the classical texts, those are meant to be uh, a moment in time of that text's existence. So, I mean, so if you have Plato's original papyrus and then the medieval copies... 
then there's no original Plato Papyrus, by the way. Uh, and then uh, the OCT from nowadays, I mean, that OCT fits into the timeline of the textual uh, existence. Anyway, that's a large digression about history of text uh, studies, textual studies. The idea is you have the money, what would you do? I'd be studying Chinese, I'd be studying languages, writing Chinese, because then imagine being able to spend eight hours a day just focusing on something that like, like studying a language then you'd start to see a lot more development wouldn't you i mean phenomenal development I, i'm not even sure if i would uh spend the money on teachers I, maybe i would i'm not sure teachers especially for the chinese language have the the research into how to teach the chinese language is not as developed as it is for other languages. I'm speaking mostly about English. If you want to go teach English and you don't know how to teach English to anybody, there are a lot of resources that can make it very simple for you. Chinese, not so easy. I mean, a lot of the, I can teach you Chinese sort of uh, people who aren't very experienced teachers, it fits into the conversational stuff, which is what ESL teachers do as well. But... Studying languages, why not? So spend the time. Would you write out 5,000 characters if you had a million dollars and didn't have to work for a couple of years? You know, that, that's probably a better example. Not all the money in the world or didn't have to worry about money. If you had a million dollars, if you had enough money to give yourself two or three years, like a student does sort of thing, right? Would you actually sit down and study the language? Because that's what university students do. They, they check out for three, four years. They just, they're supposed to study, and most of, most of the times they don't. But it, as an adult, as a mature learner, if you had that money, if you gave yourself that scholarship, or someone gave you the scholarship, would you do it? Good question. If I was offered a scholarship to study Chinese, I don't know if I'd take it. Likewise with Russian. I don't know. Hmm. It would be... Because that, then that would be paid for, but then how would I, like, am I going to get a job from it? Like, what's the payoff after it? You know, it's a, you don't really think of this when you're 20, but when you're pushing the other side of that, uh, you know, doubling up or something, you kind of start wondering, hmm, what's, what's my time and energy worth here? Ah, interesting thoughts, anyway. We do have snow, proper snow. Like, like what the fuck snow? Like, what? It's March in... Beijing snow, why is it here? It's not Winnipeg snow, it's not Harbin snow, but it's um, it's snow nonetheless. There wasn't any snow on the ground at 2 p.m. By 4 p.m., there was an inch of snow. And it's this wet stuff uh, that you can actually go make snowballs and snowmen and all those things, uh, and then we'll also freeze into ice later on and make it terribly slippery out there. <laughs> uh, it was very pretty. It was also very quiet. They actually shut off the generator outside my house. Earlier today, it was fantastic. Uh, I came in, I did some shopping. I walked into my, my apartment and it was quiet. Like this. Beautiful. Just beautiful. I mean, it's, it's that. I did actually sit down to enjoy the silence. But given that it's it was like Friday afternoon, I'm like, I, I have too much energy. I got to keep going. Uh, I mean, it, it, now is not the time to relax. I have to keep moving forward. 
and so I did. I mean, I sat there for 10, 15 minutes trying to enjoy the silence. It was good. It was nice. Uh, it was great to just sit down, chill out for a little bit. Um, there's not much going on at work. I mean, we have this Omicron virus uh, variant still going on. So it's, uh, I mean, parts of the city are getting shut down. I mean, parts of the, the country are getting shut down. <sighs> It's kind of bothersome to tell you the truth. <laughs> it really is, but uh, we got to deal with it uh, according to standard protocols. So, uh, but yeah, we do have snow. I've uh, got some pictures of it. Looked nice, looked cool, looked neat. Um, and I think it should all be gone by Sunday. <laughs> if I'm correct, the weather is going to change from what was it? Yes, it's like minus one right now. Tomorrow they're going for 7, Sunday 10, Monday 12. By next Thursday, it's going to be plus 18. So, I yeah, the snow's not going to uh, stick around very much. It's probably going to melt pretty quickly, um, which, yeah, I mean, this is kind of odd that uh, there is snow in Beijing at the in the middle of March. Eh, but enjoy it while we can, right? Uh, was able to get one more project done for March Motion, and that's that 20-minute tutorial. I was working on this thing, and it was only 20 minutes. It's by Simon Ubsdale. He's a fantastic uh, graphics artist. Uh, he, he does a lot of work with Motion. He does other stuff as well, uh, but Motion is sort of what uh, what I know him for, and I think what he's known for on YouTube as well. Uh, and I did the sliding glass uh, tutorial and first of all, mine's botched. It doesn't look like his. Uh, second, it's the I was trying to fix it, and I, I I should I should know better. I shouldn't try to fix it. I should just redo it because trying to go back. This is the one thing that gets me about motion, and it's another thing about following along with these tutorials. If you don't understand where every little piece fits in, because you get lost. It's one thing just to copy. It's another thing to look at what they're doing, understand how it fits into like the greater scheme of using the program. And that's like, I'm, I'm to tell you the truth, if someone asked me to redo what I just did today blind or, you know, without looking at a, without reference, I don't think I could. It'd be very difficult. I might be able to piece together uh, parts of it, but not the whole thing. So this it, it is a bit of a challenge. Uh, and it's he actually has this one video about some of the things he'd like to see happen in motion, and in it he he discusses, uh, you know, motion is not After Effects, and After Effects is like your industry standard. If you are doing uh, computer graphics for anybody in the in, uh, film industry, you are using After Effects for quite a bit of it, and of all the computer graphics, After Effects is sort of like the bottom rung, the minimum buy-in rung for graphics effects in the film industry because above uh, After Effects are these specialized uh, programs like Cinema 4D, Matrix, Matrox, uh, Nuke, and Fusion, and all these other sort of high-end, very uh, particular, very specific, Houdini as well, uh, very specific uh, programs that are used to create what you would see on a cinema screen. Motion does not pretend to do that. Motion is for us YouTubers, uh, vloggers, your podcasters, your wannabes, 
your semi-professionals, your wedding videographers, ESL teachers. <laughs> uh, it's not targeting an audience any more than it, it has to. Like it's it's fifty bucks. Um, it's meant to be shipped together with Final Cut Pro, and as it is, Final Cut Pro is very easy for people to use and ships and can be easily installed on MacBooks, which means, I mean, it's more for like consumers or prosumers who want to have that ability, but it's not meant to be taken on After Effects. All that is to say, it's still a very powerful program, and if you can learn how to use it, it, it opens up your abilities to really make your own videos unique and gives you the ability to create your own images on the computer without worrying about all of like rights acquisitions and stuff like that. And that's sort of something I think about. If you hire an actor or you need a location, you need microphones and this, but with you get into computer graphics, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of processor-heavy uh, work, but you don't have to deal with a lot of those uh, sort of legalities that come along with shoot with shooting live people, with using live action people, live action motion in a camera. So that's something that uh, I think uh, is is part of the way of the future, especially with this metaverse that's coming. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, we're not going to go com complete metaverse just yet. Uh, let's hope not, because we do need to keep track of what's real in the world anyway, right? Uh, but that being the case, working on this uh, March Motion tutorial, and we'll have it up probably tomorrow, because uh, it's uh, getting pretty late, and uh, I don't think it's uh, going to get uploaded in time. And it's only 10 seconds long, of all things. But uh, that being the case, um, got a few more that I'll be uh, working on uh, probably over the... Like, I don't have work tomorrow either, so I'll get that done. And then that way, I should be a little bit closer to uh, catching up with uh, with everything there. All right, folks. Uh, I think I'm going to end it there. Uh, I think... Uh, oh, you know, the, one th the only other thing I've noticed... I don't know if you guys in Beijing are experiencing this as well or if you've noticed this. The one thing about the snow... And it's similar to when there's a lot of pollution in the air. Do your internet connections get crappy? We're talking like the Wi-Fi is just no good. The cell phone re reception isn't so bad, but the Wi-Fi gets all bungled up. I, I, and I've just noticed when if there's heavy pollution, or like if it's raining heavy, or if there's snow, the the Wi-Fi connections do not work as as well. Now I'm not sure if that's because like people are staying at home and playing video games. Or it's because of like the little elements are getting into the uh, little bits and pieces of the transmitters or the receivers or the relay, whatever it is, and they're botching up our internet. Who knows? I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's something that I've noticed with the uh, the internet connections over the last couple of days with the snow uh, and then the pollution before that. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Folks, it's been a good week, uh, despite what's uh, going on in Russia and Ukraine. I uh, hope you guys are doing well, staying safe out there, and uh, are able to be productive along the way. Thanks for listening. The show notes and track uh, tracks are up on my website, stephensersky.com. You can take a look on over there, and you can also follow me on the Twitter, the Stephen Sersky, or hit me up on Instagram as well. You can ser uh, search for my name there. 
Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. We will talk again. Have a good one. Bye-bye.